You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we lift up Ethan as he teaches us about your word and your ways. Help him to explain and teach us about Psalm 61. Father, thank you for Historic Liberty Memorial Central Middle School. Thank you for the use of this beautiful auditorium that is a monument to the young people of Lawrence who gave their lives as a sacrifice for our country 100 years ago. Thank you also for the educators, students, and staff who labor here day in and day out. We ask for a blessing upon them. Provide for them the inspiration and resources to learn and teach. And through your Holy Spirit, we pray that they would know peace and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Ethan, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we're grateful that you're with us. If you're visiting or you're here on the regular, it's great to have you. Uh, Last week, we were not here. Slate asked me in the hall if I had any good jokes about Fires, I don't, because you're not supposed to make jokes about fires and gathering of a lot of people. You can, like, go to jail or something for that. So I'm going to stay away from that. That's as close as I'm getting to it. But last week we weren't here. Um, there, there was, I realized we had kind of, I don't think it was cryptic. I think it was pretty clear, but there's also a wonder uh, whenever we say, hey, there was a fire at Central and we can't meet there. Uh, everyone thinks different things. Uh, when I received the phone call from Dr. Hawks last uh, Saturday, I thought, oh no, all our stuff is still set up. Are we like, we're homeless, but are we actually like completely emptied of everything? It it was a fire. If you go up like kind of above the auditorium back, they were um, fixing some windows. They were cutting out uh, some windows and some sparks flew, caught some stuff on fire. And so there was just some smoke. And so last week, that's what happened. Um, No one was hurt and uh, things, the fire was put out quickly and uh, teachers are settling in and, and as Paul prayed, man, getting ready for uh, this coming semester. And they've got a lot going on. I was actually talking with Thomas this morning and he said like all the positions for teachers have been filled except like one, did you say one? That's amazing. Like in this, in this time and, and place, uh, that's amazing because Central like lost a ton of teachers. So um, man, praise God for that. And we do ask that, that they would just uh, experience the presence of the Lord in the hallways and, and uh, man, in, in times that we have opportunity to serve them, that, that it would be a time to bless them as they bless us week in and week out here. Um, it's such a, such a great thing to be able to meet here in this place. But if you uh, 
are a guest with us this morning, um, one thing is, is this, to know about Free City Church, really our, our mission is this, that we exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what we mean in essence. We mean that we want to take a long gaze, that we never look away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done to forgive sin, to defeat death and hell, and to restore us to the life that we were created to live together. The people of God together with each other and with God himself. And what we want is really this to be a thing that as we extend this glory to the surrounding world, we want it to be that the gospel would permeate every part of our life, that it would stir us in our living, that if you work a job, that you would work your job with a gospel vision, which means you would go to work and you wouldn't just punch the clock, but you would open your eyes and see the people around you. And you would consider maybe God has put you in the place that he's put you so that you might be his voice to a surrounding world. If you're a stay-at-home mom, it's that you would look at your kids and in your weariness, you would cry out in dependence to God the Father to sustain you and get you through as you literally make disciples in your home. If you're single, it's that you would use your singleness to understand the sufficiency of Jesus, that he will satisfy all your needs. He really, really will, that you would take a long gaze at him and, and see him in your marriage, that you would display the gospel to a surrounding world. If you're a student, like we could go on and on and on down this road, but the, the goal is this, that we would be a people who proclaim all of Christ in all of life to all the world. And this is really the hope that we have each week as we gather together. We sing together, we come into the preaching of the word, so we would be a people who have our eyes, as we sing this morning, fixed upon Jesus for all that we do. Well, here's the thing. I was going to preach this uh, a week ago, and so I had a story more present, but we're a week delayed, and so I'm just going to say two weeks ago, here's what happened. A couple weeks ago, we had a lot of rain. Praise God for that. My grass and my water bill will both be thankful, but what had happened is uh, it, it was Monday, and, and I was just kind of thinking on Psalm 61. It was Monday around noon, and it had been raining overnight, and uh, the rain had held up for a few minutes. And so I thought, well, I'm going to just try to sneak out and take a run. It was a little bit cooler, and uh, I wasn't expecting, I should have expected, but the humidity, you know, to just slap me right when I got outside. But that's what happened. Anyway, most often, when I, whenever I take runs, I've kind of got back into this, and I may not totally look like it, but in this season, there are far better runners in our church. But I've gotten back into running a little bit. And one thing that I often do on runs is, is really, like, I know, I'm a pastor or whatever. Spend time with the Lord. Ha, ha, ha. Right? It's for real. Sometimes that's the only way you can get through a run, right? Amen? Yeah, okay. But here's the deal. Most of the time on my feet, I spend a lot of time really praying and considering, thanking God for things or asking him. It's that space where I kind of open myself and, and try to physically position myself in openness toward him, in dependence upon him. And, and even at times meditating on it and trying to memorize scripture as was true for this day. So I was thinking about Psalm 61. I had left our house. We live kind of south central Lawrence. I had headed south down Louisiana and got to the Baker Wetlands and come across and it was headed back north, got over I-70 and it was coming up on the intersection of Michigan and 31st Streets near Menards if you're familiar with it. But as I was running, I was just over and over in my head 
saying, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call out to you when my heart is faint. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call out to you when my heart is faint. Over and over with the rhythm of my steps, I was just saying this aloud, trying to memorize it. And as I approached that stop sign at the corner, the text metaphor kind of began to take shape. And here's what I mean. Many times over this last season of life, I found myself in this exact same spot in multiple ways. One, it's, it's a place that a regular route that I run, and, and this is kind of a stopping place because as I get northbound on Michigan at 31st, I have to wait on for the traffic of 31st to disperse for me to get across the street to the sidewalk in front of Menards and to keep on going. But also, like, I found myself feeling in a similar place. It was kind of this calling to mind, remembering uh, exhausted moments in this past season. And so in this weird providential way, I found myself regularly here, but today having words to kind of pair with what I was experiencing. On Monday around 1 p.m., waiting on that corner, it's like the words of David in Psalm 61 that hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer from the ends of the earth. I call out to you and my heart is faint. It seemed to actually call my heart to remember. Isn't that what the word of God does? This like collective gathering of God's faithfulness within this season of life. I began to think over some of the different things that like in the last few months that I've prayed and, and wrestled with, like things throughout the summer that I've asked God to do, like restoration within conflicted relationships, familial concerns, asking God for clarity and calling and, and life, like praying for us as an elder team as we seek to fill and staff positions here at Free City, praying for healing for family members of close friends, and, and even then praying for friends who are in circumstances where they have absolutely no say or power to define the outcomes, and even praying for the Lord to give me the courage to love others more than myself. And what began to happen is that as I was kind of rolling through instances, recalling prayers, moments that I've prayed, it all started to kind of snap together that throughout my faint-heartedness, God had been using my circumstances to actually lead me to more dependence upon him. He was using my frailty to lead me to, to borrow today's language, the rock higher than I. That through circumstances that I was incapable of maintaining on my own, God has used them to expose my need, my frailty, and his sufficiency. And isn't this exactly what the Spirit of God does in illuminating the word of God to lead us to see Jesus Christ. So wherever you're coming from this morning, like I, I'm sure all of us walk in here with different sizes of luggage, if you will. Maybe you feel like you just carry on that backpack shoulder-sized luggage, or, or maybe you walk in this place and you're kind of that person who has to like check three bags and you had to pay extra because they're overweight. Wherever you are this morning, my hope is that as we look at Psalm 61, you would begin to even just be simply honest about your faint-heartedness, if that's where you are. And that you wouldn't just stay there, but there would be a cry out to depend upon God, to ask him to lead you to the rock, to take his word for what it is, to find refuge and peace and security and safety in Jesus Christ. 
that in your exhaustion, you would not exhaust all the options as maybe has been historically true for you, but rather you would pointedly cry out to the only refuge that you will find shelter in, and, and you would rest in his watchful care. And this is why we come to the word of God each week, and, and specifically why we spend time in the Psalms in the summer. If you're just joining us today, we spend time each summer, it's kind of becoming an annual thing where we're just trekking through the Psalms each year. We've got uh, one more week next week, and then we're going to actually jump into the book of Matthew, where we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew kicking off the fall. But really, the book of Psalms is uh, it's also known as the Psalter. It's the hymn book of the church. But the thing about it is it's not just like a, a random grab bag of like greatest hits of songs or poems or prayers. Instead, the Psalms are a carefully arranged book that tell us a unified story. It shows us our need for God's word and for God's presence. And the Psalms point us to God's Messiah. We see this clearly in today's text and his victory. The Psalms teach us how to live with Christ in all of life, to trust him truly, delight in him deeply, and to long for him personally as we await the day where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, or even to use today's text, to dwell in his tent forever. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into the text this morning. And, and even as I pray, like if you find yourself faint-hearted, could, could I even encourage you uh, to not disengage in this prayer? Don't let me just do the talking, but would you actively participate? And, and even this might be even a motion that you would hold your hands open, and you would just ask God, I'm faint-hearted, I'm worn out. Would you just speak to me? Would you lead me this morning? We want to be a dependent people, so let me pray for us that we would be that this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill this place, and that as we look at your word, that, that you would um, take faint-hearted people, and you would lead us to the rock, that you would lead us to Christ Jesus, and in him we would see all of life begin to be um, purposeful, that we would see that he is our shelter, that we would... Um, that we would be slow, we would be halted, we would stop looking in other places, but we would simply look for a refuge in Christ. And so would we be people who cry out independence through them in the midst of our faint-heartedness, and would you satisfy us? Would you shelter us? Amen. Well, the big idea today that we're going to look at as we look at Psalm 61 is simply this, that only in Christ... Do we find a sure and eternal strength and secure? Only in Jesus Christ do we find a sure and eternal strength and security. And so to pose this, we're just going to say, so you know, what's that look like and, and how is that kind of accomplished? And we're going to just look in two different, two different spots. We'll break the text down. We're going to look at really just this kind of idea to, to remember what God has done. We'll see. We'll just track along with what David does in verses 1 through 4. Remember what God has done. And then we will, in the second half, we'll say, anticipate what God has promised. This will be verses 8, um, or the end of the 5 through 8. So let's look at verse 1 as we get started. If you have the sheet uh, in front of you or even your Bible, track along with us. It says, Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call out to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. 
If you're looking at a Bible, and even on the printed handout, the heading of this psalm says, of David. So at least one thing is clear. We know that David wrote this psalm. He is the author. And it seems that by his language, David is in a desperate place. He begins his prayer with these intimate, like intimately personal words of lamentation. He says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. He makes his need known before God. He says, hear my cry. Notice David is not passive in this prayer. It's not some, you know, rehearsed nightly kneeling next to his bed. This is no prayer recital. There's an urgency to David's prayer request. He needs God to hear his cry, to listen and to act. And isn't this what we always need in prayer, whether we realize it or not? Our aim in prayer is not just organizing the proper words in the proper cadence, but it's rather directing our cries to the proper ear. Hear my cry, O God. We call out to the one who's able to do something about our state, the one who hears us. Men, in our household, each evening, not just each evening, but we, we pray together regularly with our kids. This is a thing that um, each night as we're putting them down, we, we put them down, we read a story together, we talk about the day, and then we're praying, and we spend time uh, thanking God, time, time of gratitude to kind of conjure up good thoughts about what the Lord has done in the day, and, and then times where we're uh, asking God to move in and among us. And, and what we're doing, my wife and I, Sky, what we're doing in our kids in part is trying to help them understand that they can cry out to God when they're insecure. Now, I don't think, my kids do experience insecurity, absolutely, but right now they kind of live under the shelter of our house and they're pretty insulated. But we know that insecurity is going to come in their lifetime. So we want to help them voice to God what they need, that they would seek their dependence upon him. And we try even, uh, as parents, we try to be open and honest with them about what's going on in our lives, even uh, oftentimes asking them to pray for us. You know, we get their hands and lay them on our head or our shoulders and say, would you just pray for us? And there's something so powerful about hearing our kids pray for us and the need that we had. But we pray for each other. And what we're doing in, in part, we know that God hears us and we're asking him to move, but we're also, there's a practice, a, liturg a liturgical element where we're trying to stir habits where we would begin to eliminate that natural hesitancy to cry out to God. You know, that, that hesitancy to cry out to God and to actually rely on self. We want to point our kids Godward. We want their hearts Godward, their cries Godward. And we want them and ourselves to be led by God to God because it's in him that we find our ultimate security. But then there's this thing. Like when we talk about security this morning, talk about strength and security, something that we maybe as a people need to particularly consider about security. Security, in this, in this moment, what I mean by security, I, I don't mean to put this as what we maybe naturally think of as comfort. You should understand maybe security to be more similar to being dependent upon, being held by the Father. I think sometimes our understanding of comfort is just this like, pulling away from everything, accountable to and for no one and nothing. But security is, is a thing that's firm and stable when the waves and chaos of life come. We want to be foundationally secure in Jesus Christ. Though everything around us may be in disarray, we are secure. 
foundationally held. And we want to cry out to God, hear my prayer, oh God. Hear my cries, listen to my prayer. And further look at verse 2. He says, from the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Now, there's a few things at play here. First, David's language continues to express these feelings of estrangement. David's declaring, from the ends of the earth I call out to you. Now, while we don't have a great explanation of David's location, in the past weeks and throughout the summer, we've looked at some different psalms near Psalm 61. But what we've seen in different circumstances is that David is often on, his, on a run for his life from Saul. A couple weeks ago, we were in Psalm 60 in case he preached, and, and David was writing while he was out on a military campaign. And that could be the same circumstances, the case here, or he could even be on the run from his son Absalom, trying to overthrow the throne. Regardless of the circumstances, we understand the feeling of the text. David feels distant from God. He feels rattled. He says, from the ends of the earth, I call out to you when my heart is faint. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt helpless or in dire need, that isolated and, and metaphorical picture of not only at the ends of the earth, but the ends of self, suffering from a heart that's faint. And if so, what do you do? Like, where does your mind go when you're faint-hearted? And, and perhaps you feel that way this morning. And if so, what's the invitation to you that feels luring? Do you white-knuckle and kind of just grit your teeth and, and bear your circumstances, rely on yourself to get through? Or do you find yourself even just like numbing out from the chaos of life, distracting yourself ad nauseum, like buying more, scrolling more, eating more, drinking more, seeking pleasure more in an effort and attempt to escape? You see, David writes Psalm 61 out of honesty for where he is, but also to instruct us. He cries out to God, but his cries, they're filled with dependence. Not dependence on self, dependence on God. He says, lead me to the rock higher than I. You see, David writes there to ask the father to look outside of himself and to consider where he needs, what he needs. And really, <clears throat> when, we, when we think about what David's asking here, his request is a bit surprising considering who David is and the status that he holds. David is the king here. He's all-powerful. He has an army that could come to his aid if he simply would call. He has riches that could obtain whatever his heart desires. But the language that he employs here looks outside of himself, looks higher than himself, beyond his own control. He feels shaken and he needs security in the midst of his suffering. And isn't this the reckoning that we face when it comes to suffering? Like the thing that's so awful about suffering in life is the realization that we lack control, that we have limitations. Like this is a terrible pill to swallow. But David, he's no stranger to suffering. It's actually through and in suffering that, that God has prepared him to respond in this way. You see, through being laid low, face down, as we've seen in past weeks, David hiding out among the rocks. It's there that David realizes what or whom David needs. He realizes that he needs the rock that is higher than him. He needs a protection that shames human resources. 
He needs a refuge. The strong tower. He's not satisfied with being at the ends of the earth. He wants to be back inside the castle walls. But we're not talking castle walls built with human hands. This is the mighty fortress who is his God. The strong tower against the enemy. David's refuge. And notice in verse 3 he says, you have been my refuge. David has experienced God this way. And he comes, he has come to know God as his refuge. And it's because of the historical provision of God that David cries out. David remembers what God has done in his life. He depends on who God has revealed himself to be. And he realizes there that God is the place where eternal strength and security reside. How about you? Like, maybe you find yourself with a lament similar to David's this morning. Maybe you're wishing your situation away. Like, perhaps life's circumstances have driven you to despondency. My, my hope is that if we would consider lament a little different, we would maybe reorient lament. We wouldn't wish it away. Because here's the thing. If you never find yourself in lament in life, if you never experienced lament, you might be incredibly disconnected from reality. Lament is a sign of life. Remember a couple years ago we went through Lamentations and it was a wonderful time as a church family. Lament is a sign of life. And further, a signal to you that you are in fact dependent and in need. Like look at the world around you. You could just consider and scroll through the headlines of yesterday or today or five weeks ago or you can hold off and look in a few weeks. So much brokenness. Things are terrible and so much hopelessness. Like, if you feel faint-hearted this morning, this text is for you. But when you feel faint-hearted, where do you go? I mentioned a moment ago, it's through being laid low and, and like kind of down and among the rocks that David realized that he needed the rock higher than him. What are the places of shelter that you seek that, that seem sufficient for the moment but will never endure, that will never actually shelter you in any long-term way? Oftentimes, this, this could perhaps be kind of belief systems. And here's what I mean. Allowing uh, culture to define who God is and what he intends Allowing culture to define humanity and purpose and, and even your view, the intentions of what the good life is for you. Kind of this, my truth, your truth, live your truth, who could know, that whole type of thing. But oftentimes, these belief systems, they, they lead us away. If you call Jesus Lord this morning, what you need to understand is that the framework for your life should be the word of God. And one helpful way for you to think about the word of God is to understand the word of God, the scriptures, the Bible that you hold in your hand as the very mouth of Jesus Christ. Sufficient to lead you in all of life, to teach you, to train you in righteousness, to conform you into the image of Jesus. It's there that you will actually understand what love is and how to step toward and love others. However, I think when we consider conformity, sometimes our understanding of conformity is to subscribe to cultural ideals for maybe the sake of not ruffling feathers. 
but it's small steps over time that will blunt us, that will lead us to hide out among the rocks, if you follow what I'm saying. They lead us into deception. We become deceived, and then we deceive others, and we actually maybe enlist and, and take on the voice of the enemy. Lead me, David says. Who are you being led by? And where are you being led to? And to consider this, it takes a great deal of humility. To consider perhaps I'm wrong, to lay your life before your brothers and sisters in the faith and say, man, what do you see in my life? Where do you see the pillars of hope and security in my life? What are the strong towers that I seek refuge in? You may start to feel secure in the world, but the rocks that we hide out among, they'll never give us security. We need to be led to the rock. And you will only find lasting security in this life if you're led to Jesus Christ. And when suffering happens, you get pushed down, you get dimmed out and dulled, you may get crippled. You often can't see the beginning from the end. You don't know why or how long suffering may last or even how you got there. But suffering can and should lead us to hunger for God. Distress can actually lead us to God himself. Look at verse 4. David says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Now, there's a couple things at play here. David doesn't want some temporary housing arrangement. He wants a sure and secure dwelling place. But also, he recognizes that he has no right to God's presence. So he asks to sojourn there. He says, let me dwell, which is there another word for sojourn. He's saying, I want to dwell in your tent forever could I even do it as a stranger, a guest, a resident, alien? While I may not deserve it, can you let me in? He's relying on the gracious mercy of God to house him because the past experiences of his life testify of the gracious mercy of God. And for us, when we hear this word dwell, it, it should bring to mind the reality that God's promise of presence and security, that it's available to us through Jesus Christ. John 1, 14, where John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And further, the Apostle Paul actually declared that Jesus, the one who dwelt among us, he declares that he is the rock that David was seeking. He said that as Israel was delivered from Egypt, they, in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Jesus is the sure and eternal rock of refuge. He's the one who delivers us not only from our enemies, but from ourselves, from our sin. He's the one who went to the cross, crying out from the ends of the earth as he took all our sin upon himself, saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? And being forsaken, he died, purchasing us and giving us his righteousness in exchange for our sin. He's made us a people for God, and it's through his resurrection that he secures us to dwell in the presence of God, in the house of God, to use David's language, in the tent of God forever. You see, it's only in Christ Jesus that we find sure and eternal strength and security. So when we find our lives rattled, we don't, when we find ourselves at the ends of the earth, we learn from David's example. We're not deceived. We, we don't trade faint-heartedness for 
comfort or momentary security. We don't cling or just hang out among the smaller rocks. We draw near to God as we remember what he's done, his faithfulness to his word. As we look and we cry out, God, would you lead me to the rock? We look to the rock, Jesus Christ. And then in light of Christ, the second part of this text, we anticipate what God has promised. Look at verse 5. He says, for you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Well, one thing about vows needs to be made clear. The vow David mentions here is not the vow that some of you guys made in the first half of a Monday night basketball game where the Jayhawks were down 15 to the Tar Heels. You know what I'm talking about? What we need here is to see that David is speaking of God's faithfulness. Notice he says, for you, O God, have heard my vows. Initially, in verse 1, David asked God to hear him. He says, hear my cry, O God. But in verse 5, God has heard him. David's vow, therefore, it's not like us, a tactic to negotiate an outcome. A vow here would be a sacrifice of thanksgiving when a prayer was answered. It's a statement of faith in God himself. David was confident that God would answer, and his vow is due to his trust in the faithfulness of God. His vow, we could call it an act of worship. The second half of verse 5 says, You have given me a heritage among those who fear your name. And this is yet another example of leaning on the promises of God, but also anticipating God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. You see, David has a heritage. David stands in a long tradition of those who are recipients of the covenantal promise of God. A promise, a metaphorical candle, if you will, that was lit in the Garden of Eden as sin entered the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve. A promise that God would send a seed, an offspring of the woman, to come and make things right in this fractured world, to restore and to reconcile all things. A promise that was given to Abraham. A promise of reassurance to Isaac and then to Jacob. A promise to make a people who know God, who dwell with God. A promise of a land and a blessing. A promise to use this people as a blessing to the nations. A promise of a king and a kingdom. It's in recalling God's faithfulness and anticipating God's faithfulness that David understands his heritage. Those who fear God, who revere him as he is, receive the heritage of being in covenant, covenant with him. And who accomplishes this but Jesus Christ? Jesus is the one who Peter, in 1 Peter, he writes of. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being guarded by God's power for, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Brothers and sisters, if, if you trust in Christ, you have an inheritance among those who fear God. And your inheritance, it's both now and not yet. It is present and future. It's anticipated, but certain. When you find yourself in desperate situations, let your circumstances drive you back to the promises that God has made to his children. 
Look at verse 6 and 7. David says, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. But first read, verses 6 and 7 may be a bit surprising. They, they kind of seem to come out of nowhere. We've got this cry, and then we have this, prolong the life of the king. It's really the, the Davidic, long live the king, right? It appears that David is, is asking for his rule to never end, which is odd. Like, may he be enthroned forever. David is a man, and surely he knows this. This is like his humanity is the very occasion that he writes Psalm 61. But here in Psalm 61, there's a connection to 2 Samuel 7. It's where God speaks through the prophet Nathan regarding David. In 2 Samuel 7, he says this. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. This is promised language. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will never depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see, David's prayer in verse 7 to establish the king forever is a clinging to the promise that God had already given him. It's a remembrance and anticipation, a promise that would not end in but be established through David as it ultimately found its fulfillment in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here in a couple weeks, we're going to start a sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew. I mentioned this at the beginning. But Matthew 1 begins this way. Right out of the gate, Matthew writes to us this. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then we see this long list of names. And ultimately what Matthew is trying to signal to us is the coming of a new king, the king. But ultimately he's saying God is faithful to his word. He upholds his promise. It's imperative that we would understand David's prayer in Psalm 61 actually is this, a perpetual reign of his kingdom through Jesus Christ. Though David did not know in fullness when the Messiah would come, he clung to the messianic promise of God that one would come through his line to reign forever. And here's the thing. Like, as you read your Bible, you need to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and understand this is not some other promise. It's not just there's an Old Testament promise and a New Testament promise, but what we have is, is one big promise of God that's in the Old Testament is Jesus, and he's concealed. We don't know his name, but we have a promise of a hope, and in the New Testament, he's revealed. It's one promise to make a people who dwell in the presence of God forever. And if we begin to look at the word of God in this way, it, it will actually like open up the scriptures in a new way. It will begin to baffle and, and just blow your mind and, and even ignite a fire in your heart as you look to the, and worship the promise-making and promise-keeping God. You'll begin to understand the Bible, even the Old Testament, is not just a book of rules, though it has commands in it. You'll see that it's a story of a redeemer to come and make all things right 
and to, as David prays, reign forever and ever. So David prays to God. He says, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. And as David prays, he's anticipating what God had promised. He's clinging to the security of God's word. It's through David that God established not just a kingdom that never ends, but a king who never ends. You see, in a sense, God answered David's prayer as he raised Jesus from the dead. And as Jesus sat down, as Hebrews 1 tells us, at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels, that the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Like, what kind of heritage is held by that king? And further, in Hebrews 2, 9 through 11, it says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source, and that's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. You see, Jesus Christ establishes and disperses our inheritance. Jesus, the one foretold of in Isaiah 9 and then announced by angels in Luke 1, 32 through 33, where they come on the scene and they say, he's going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. You see, Jesus Christ is the answer to David's prayer. And he's the answer to our longings. Jesus is the rock that we long to be led to, the refuge and strong tower against the enemy. He secures our dwelling in the house of God forever. He shelters and grants us his peace under his good care. He's the one who gives us a heritage. It's only in Jesus that we find a sure and eternal strength and security. And it's in remembering God's word. It's looking at God's word and then anticipating what God has promised through his word that David finds the ability and solace to pen verse 8. He says this, So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. It's an all-encompassing anticipation that propels David's worship. Uh, This is what he's describing here. He's singing praise and performing vows. He's not simply testifying with his words, but he's allowing the anticipation of God's eternal kingdom to direct his living. He knows he's secure. And this is the same opportunity extended to us. As we cry out to God, we cry out in hope, knowing that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And our cries reach the Father's ears, that Jesus has done something for us. This is the reality that changes us. I said this at the beginning, that we exist to extend the glory of God through making disciples the gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand that Jesus is the rock, the refuge, the shelter, and we want this to permeate every part of our life. That the good news of we were, we were once not a people, we were estranged, but have now been brought in and welcomed into the family of God. We want this to 
transform everything about us. And it actually, this good news leads us to sing with our voices, but not just our voices, our entire lives. We open our eyes and we see that this world is not ours to just piddle, poke through, but it's to see that there is a God who cares and who has sent us and commissioned us as those who would share the good news of Jesus to a surrounding world, that we are those who would curate and cultivate God's world because it is his world and he's the one who renovates, who transforms, and our security lies within him. Notice the difference the beginning of Psalm 61 to the end. David goes from the ends of the earth, he finds himself, and then he lands in the shelter of the Almighty God. He goes from crying out in distress to singing praises forevermore. And what changed? He was led to the rock higher than anyone or anything. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is this rock, and it's only in him that, that we will find a sure and eternal strength and security. And so we want to look at his word. We want to remember and recall God's faithfulness through Christ. And then we want to anticipate that we would look with eternal eyes set on a future kingdom that our God has set up reign here and now. We would anticipate what God has promised. Remember that he is faithful to his word today and tomorrow and for eternity. We cling to the rock. We cling to Jesus. And this is what we do every week when we come to a time of communion. We actually use this meal as a reminder. We meditate on God's faithfulness to his word. We remember what Christ has done, recounting that he's delivered from our, us from our enemies, from sin, Satan, and death, that Jesus is, in fact, our rock, our refuge, our strong tower. And we anticipate what God has promised, that because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed, because he died and because he resurrected and is alive, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so as we come to the table this morning, we rejoice in what Christ has done on our behalf. Here at Free City, at the end of our services each week, we, we take communion. And, and the way that we do that is, as you're ready, if you, if you trust in Jesus as Lord this morning, we encourage you to come to take communion with us. And, and the way that looks is... Uh, you tear off a piece of bread, and it will be dipped in either wine, which is in the stone cups, or in grape juice, which is in the glassware, the clear cups. And uh, we remember what Jesus has done for us. If you uh, are celiac or have a gluten intolerance, um, there is a gluten-free cracker that you could also pick up that's on the table, and you could dip it in the wine or the grape juice. But as we sing together this morning, we invite you to come to the table. Another movement that is possible um, this morning is there's some black curtains at the back of the auditorium, and, and there will be a, a group of people who have kind of named that lanyards that say prayer team, and they're there uh, to simply do what they're labeled to do, that they would just pray with you. So if you find yourself faint-hearted, or, or you're just even just wrestling with anything this morning, we would encourage you to step back, catch someone with a lan lanyard, and, and explain as much or little um, as, you, as you know or would like to share, and they would love to pray. Uh, if you want to be healed of something, if you're wrestling with something and you're stuck, if you just need courage or, or strength, uh, if you would like to just talk to someone about Jesus, they would love to catch you and, and talk with you. But as we sing this morning, come to the table. Let me pray for us. 
Father, we do ask that um, we would be a people who look to Christ as our refuge, that we would be a people who um, are settled in Jesus, that when uh, things around us are chaotic, that when we're faint-hearted and we feel that we're at the ends of the earth, that, that we would look to Christ. We would request that you would lead us. And, and if we don't have the strength to do that, that we would be among your people and your people would point us there. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would strengthen us this morning to behold Jesus, to look in his face, to fix our eyes on him, to rest there, to find our strength, security in him, who is our strong tower, our rock. We praise him. Amen. Amen. Come when you're ready.